All right, let's go ahead and dismiss our kids for Kids Church. Parents, if you haven't checked them in yet, you can stop by the table in the back and make sure you do that. Uh, I'm going to take my jacket off. I don't know. I thought the water was warm too, and so I only stuck my arm in and it made me warm. And so, but uh, yeah. So, um, if you got your Bible, go to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. And uh, I love the things that God has been saying to us as a body and the things that He's been doing in our lives individually and corporately. Um, You know, we went through the series, The Prodigal God, where God really confronted some of the mindsets in our own hearts and how we view God and how we view ourselves and sometimes how we view other people and really began to chip away at that. And we need to continue to remind ourselves of those things that he taught us because our propensity as human beings is to hear something and maybe even start putting it into practice, but it doesn't really become a part of our lives. We drift back into what we were before, and then we wonder why our lives are taking this turn. So we do have to pay attention to how we live. In fact, the Bible does say that to us often. And then we went through the series on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and what that looks like, and uh, love the steps of faith that so many of you are taking. And I just want to reiterate again today um, that concept of learning who you are in Christ. Some of, sometimes we think my environment has to change so that, um, you know, so that my life can change. Meaning, you know, my, it's my spouse, it's my job, it's my coworkers, it's my kids, it's my church, it's my pastor, it's what, I mean, it's a whole list of things on the outside of us. And Jesus came to show us that it's great when you have faith around you. It's great when you have a believing spouse. It's great when you're in a church that's full of faith and amazing things can happen. But you can be in a room of unbelief. You can be in a marriage of unbelief and stay strong in your part of that relationship. And God can use that to make things happen. And sometimes we wait for the circumstance to change. And God's like, I put what's in you so that you would begin to change your environment and that would change your circumstance. And we wait for God to change the circumstance. And so I feel like there's this tug of war going on literally in our hearts where God says, I've given you what you need, put it into practice. And we're like, God, you need to change this. And he's like, well, I changed you. Does that make sense? And so, but I don't say that as like a condemning thing. I say that as a yeah, that's true. I need to start living this out in my, my daily lives. And we're going to talk about that a lot in the, the next coming weeks as we look at the book, Keep Your Love On uh, by Danny Silk. And now there are times where people will say, you know, I, I just read the Bible. I don't want to read a book about people or I don't want to read man's opinion. You're right. I don't want to read man's opinion either. But if this book is based on the scripture and helps us live out the scripture, then we should pay attention. Because sometimes people are smarter than us. And people that are smarter than us maybe help us learn some things. And, and so um, there's, there's a passage of scripture that comes from Matthew chapter 22. And this is where we're going to start today. It says, teacher, the Pharisees asking Jesus, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Now remember, they're trying to trap him and get him to say something, you know, crazy. And so Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And John Piper should talk a little bit about that in that call to worship video. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Meaning, this sums up everything. In fact, the fruit of our connection with God is our connection with people. That's the root. This is the fruit. Okay? And that's what we're talking about. It's easy for us to sit in this room and say, yeah, we, we need to love our neighbor. Yeah, absolutely, we do. Lord, help us love our neighbor. I don't love my neighbor. Help me love my neighbor. Amen. And then we go out and we live all week and we really don't do anything because we don't know what love your neighbor looks like. What does it mean to love your neighbor? And a book like this is trying to show us how we love our neighbor. And so the principles that we're going to teach over the next couple of weeks are based on how Jesus lived. They're based on how the early church lived. And what happens in that culture is the family unit takes the word of God and they teach it to their children. And they talk about it diligently when they go to bed, when they rise up, when they walk along the way. Every time they can, they talk about the word of God to each other, reminding each other of the principles of God's word. And so the culture around them becomes an honoring culture. It becomes a respecting culture. It becomes, you know, not a culture where there's no disagreement. If you look at the early church, there was a lot of disagreement, but there's always an honor and a respect that comes with that. That is void in the American culture. We are not an honoring and respecting culture. Now, if you live honorably, I'll honor you. That's not how it works. In fact, how you behave does not determine how I treat you. If it does, I'm not living in the bounds of the kingdom. I'm living in the bounds of humans. If you act bad, I treat you bad. If you act good, I treat you good. That's how we live here in America. If you prove yourself respectable, I will respect you. And the scripture says every human being should be honored and respected and valued because he showed us the value of all of us when we were at our worst. And it's really hard for us as people who grew up in the church and we're good moral people to understand that we are worst. It's hard for us to understand that a little bit of gossip is just as bad as murder because it doesn't seem like that in our human logic, but that's the kingdom. And so hopefully over the weeks ahead, we'll teach each of us the principles that we need. And each of us, I need these as much as you need these. I'm not a licensed therapist. I don't know the most about relationships. And so I learn from other people who know more from, than me and put it into practice and see the fruit of it. And so I hope we can learn together as we walk through this series ahead. Now, I want to caution you right at the beginning. Reading this book does not make you a licensed therapist. Okay? Because here is what we're going to do. We're going to read this and we're going to be like, I know who needs this. And you're going to go fix them. That's not what this book is about. This book is about fixing ourselves, okay, and becoming the kind of people that have good relationships to create around us an environment of good relationships. So the only person that needs to change while we read this is us, me, you, okay? Focus on me, you. Focus on thee. I don't, I don't know how to say that, but you know what I mean. Now, also, resist the urge to go to extremes, don't read something and be like, I got to go way over 
behave differently. Resist that urge. Okay? The, the scripture does not teach necessarily extremes except kill yourself and follow Jesus. Okay? That's the only extreme. So be cautious as you apply these things to what you've already learned. That's how the scripture says you, you add line upon line, precept upon precept. Okay? It's not about major overhaul. Maybe it is. Maybe you'll realize, whoa, my life is really dysfunctional and I've got to do a major overhaul. But take baby steps. Okay? You don't have to jump way over there because you won't be able to handle it and you won't be able to maintain that. Okay? If you take baby steps in the direction that you want to go, you'll be able to maintain it as you go. The drastic change is hard to keep. And so that's why we want to walk this out together. Resist the urge also to be sarcastic with the principles we learn. See, this is what we have a tendency to do is we, we sarcastically begin to joke about it in real life situations. And what that does is it minimizes the truth and it makes us feel a little more comfortable in our uncomfortableness. Okay, because when we recognize it in real life situations, we're like, ooh, I see that thing. And when we joke about it and minimize it, we don't actually repent of it. Okay, so it's better to just recognize it and be like, whoa, I need to repent. And change the way you think. Okay, repent doesn't mean I'm a dirty, rotten person and I need to get to the altar and accept Jesus as my savior. Repent means change the way you think. And so if the Bible says this and I recognize in my real life, ooh, I'm not doing what the Bible says. I repent. I change my thinking to match what the Bible says. And so as we get to this keeping our love on, we're starting with turning our love on. Okay, turn your love on because to turn our love on and to keep it on is a choice. It's a choice. And in order to do this, we need to continue to remind ourselves of our identity in Christ, who we are in him. We have to be rooted in that. We have to be rooted in his love. We also have to have an understanding of our own personality, our own strengths, our own weaknesses, our own propensities. We have to be self-aware. Now, you don't have to be introspective, but you have to allow the Holy Spirit to show you the warts. Okay? I don't want you to go sit in a room and try to discover all your warts. I want you to say, Holy Spirit, show me them. And he'll show you them in the order they need to be removed. Because if you just sit and just think about how, the, how you are in your own head, you don't know what order to go after those things. And notice, there, every one of us in this room has a list. <laughs> okay, So if, if you think you're like a one wart person, <laughs> yeah, okay, praise God. Um, because we're not. But we don't just start hacking away at ourselves, we allow the Holy Spirit to show us one at a time how we go after these things. And so that's kind of what we're going to try to do. The first two chapters of the book really dig into this idea of being in control of ourselves, being in control of our own environment, taking responsibility for our own choices. And it starts with what is the goal of relationships? I don't know if you've ever thought of that, but what is the goal of your relationships? What's the goal of your marriage? What's the goal of your friendships? What's the goal of your relationship with unbelievers? What's the goal? And if you ask people what the goal is, sometimes 
you know, in our uncomfortableness, we don't really know what our goal is, and so we just say things. Like, my, the goal of being married is, you know, raise the kids and save some money and, um, you know, uh, do good in ministry. And, and that would be the goal of your parenting and the goal of your finances and the goal of your um, ministry, but it's not the goal of your marriage. The goal of our relationships has to be connection. Connection. Because if there's not connection, nothing else can happen. If I don't connect with an unbeliever, I won't share the gospel with them. They won't receive it. There has to be a connection. And sometimes the Holy Spirit empowers connection with unbelievers and gives us wisdom or knowledge beyond our own human ability to bring that connection. But there has to be a connection first. And that's what the first couple of chapters in the book begin to discuss. In Romans chapter 12, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, in the same way, even though we are many individuals, Christ makes us one body and individuals who are connected to each other. And so if this is going to happen in marriage, at work, at home, everywhere, in church, if it's going to happen, you and I have got to acquire the skills we need to start connecting, okay? Because here's what we normally do. We treat some relationships like oil and water. And we say, well, you know, I'll just never connect with that person. But if we say the goal of every relationship I have on earth is connection, then whenever there's conflict, I don't say, well, I guess we're just like oil and water and we distance ourselves from that relationship. If we make the connection the goal of that relationship and then there's a disagreement or there's some conflict, then we say, how do I overcome that conflict? Because my goal is connection. Now, the opposite of connection is distance. And that's what many of us do in our relationships. We, we feel like, you know, this is going to hurt me or harm me, and so I want to maintain a safe distance to protect myself. But here's the thing. You can pursue connection and still learn to set boundaries and make choices and be in control of yourself in that relationship. You don't have to create distance. In fact, biblically, you shouldn't create distance. There should always be a level of connection. So by our words, by our thoughts, by our actions, we're either drawing near people or we are distancing ourselves from them. And so over the next couple of weeks, hopefully we begin to put into practice the skills we need to make connection our goal. But if our goal is not first established as connection, no amount of skills is going to help us. If I don't determine in my heart that my goal for my marriage and for my church and for my relationships on earth is connection, no amount of skills is going to help me get better. I've got to determine in my heart, I've got to make that choice to choose connection. I've got to choose not just connection, but I've got to choose to turn my love on and keep my love on. Whether or not you choose to turn yours off or not does not determine whether I choose to turn mine on or off. My choice will be to keep my love on no matter what you do with your love. Because if I turn my love off, what begins to grow in my life is fear, anxiety, 
distrust and distance. Because without love to expel those things, that's what grows. Don't take my word for it. The scripture tells us. The most important thing, Peter says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. And I read the whole chapter, and I didn't find an exemption clause. Okay? I never heard Peter say, continue to show deep love for each other, except in these instances. Period. That's what he says. Well, actually, comma. And here's why. Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, love doesn't cover over them or excuse them or pretend they're not there or, you know, live in, you know, this false reality. Okay, that's not what cover a multitude of sins means, and we'll walk through that as we go in the weeks ahead. 1 John chapter 4, 18, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. And so if we decide to turn our love off, fear, anxiety, distrust, hate, all of these things will grow in our lives. Trust me, you, you know of a relationship where you have turned your love off, and it has not created a peace in your life. It's created fear, anxiety, distrust, And so now, because you turned your love off in that relationship, you view other relationships you have through that same lens. It hasn't brought you healing. It's brought you into more fear and more bondage. That's why we learn to keep our love on. In chapter two of the book, he walks through the love languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. How many of you have read the book, The Five Languages of Love or The Five Love Languages? Okay, a few of you. If you haven't, it's a great book. He kind of, you know, just briefly touches on them in the chapter. But basically, all of us in this room have a way we give and receive love. And we receive love sometimes through physical touch. Um, You know, I jokingly say my dog's love language is physical touch. He wants to be touched. He wants to be petted. And for you, a lack of physical touch, if this is your love language, produces anxiety and fear. And it's almost like you, you feel overwhelmed, but yet if someone just would, would hug you, not fix you, not try to work through your problem with you, but they just hugged you and said, I love you, that would just like reduce your anxiety by like half instantly, boom. That's how you know that physical touch is your love language. The acts of service. If you're one of those people that you walk into a room and you see all of these tasks that need to be done, your anxiety level just like hits the roof and you're like, I'm gonna have to do all these things. I'm doing them all alone and rah. And if you wanna minister to that person, you do something for them. You take one of their responsibilities and you do it and it, 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 I, I, you love me. Okay, and if you're an acts of service person and someone comes up and hugs you, you're like, stop hugging me, there's stuff to do. (laughs) Does that make sense? And sometimes what we do is we give love the way we receive it. And then we get frustrated that that person isn't accepting our love. Why didn't they accept my love? Well, it's not how they receive it. So we have to become a learner of each other to learn how you give and how you receive love. Because if you want to reduce fear and anxiety in your relationships, then you've got to put love into those relationships. And if love is felt a certain way, then that's how you have to deposit it. 
And you get to choose. You're all, it's always your choice. You're in control of you, and you're in control of this. You know, sometimes we want to maybe manipulate or control other people to do it for us. Well, I need this, so I'm going to like, if you need something, especially husbands and wives, listen, if you need your love language met, ask for it. Don't hint about it. Don't write notes about it. Don't try to manipulate and control about it. Just say, I need this. You ask for it. And then the other person has to choose whether to respond or not respond. And we'll talk more about that as we go through confirm, or confirmation classes. <laughs> as we go, we're not doing that. As we go through the communication lesson in a few weeks. Uh, gifts, okay, this, if gifts is your love language, it's not like someone, you know, on the way home from a trip stopped at the 7-Eleven and bought you like bubble tape and you're like, hey, I, I bought you this. Unless you are like a collector of bubble tape. Okay, if gifts is someone's love language, what they want is not a gift on the day you're supposed to give them the gift, but a gift that says, I was thinking about you and I know you and I know things you like and I bought this for you. That's a gift. And even if it's not your love language, if someone does that, brings you a gift out of the blue and it's a gift because they thought of you in a situation where they, you know, you came to their mind, it shows, hey, I love you. And that's how you put love into relationships. Quality time is not quantity time. Sometimes we feel like, well, I don't have a lot of time to spend with someone, and so we just never spend any time together. But quality time, that person says, hey, I want you to be engaged with me doing something I want to do or something I enjoy doing or just being engaged with me. If quality time is that person's love language, just sitting and doing nothing but being engaged in conversation about each other, not about other people, and what, just about each other, that's what they need. And it reduces fear and anxiety, and it raises love. Now, I know we're all sitting here thinking, wow, this is really simple. wonder why we don't do this. I don't know why we don't. Because of the temptation, or I don't know, maybe we think it's harder than this, but it really is, I think, as easy as Danny makes it sound. Uh, and Gary Chapman. And then words of affirmation. Basically, that's just vocally affirming someone else for something they've done or for who they are. It's just reminding them of who they are. I love the way you do this. And so begin to be a student, a learner of the people around you and try to figure out what our love language is because we want to produce love in the relationship and we want to remove fear and anxiety and perfect love casts out fear. So we've got the choice for connection, the choice to love, and the, the choice for connection and the choice to love begins with another C word. As he talks about in the book, it's the, the idea that I choose you. I choose you. Our relationship with God begins because God chose us. We didn't choose him. He reminds us of that throughout the scripture, but this is the words of Jesus himself. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And so when you're feeling like you're not measuring up or you're feeling like, you know, God's rejected me because I don't measure up, remember at your worst, Okay, your worst means it can't get worse than that. So at your worst, while you were his enemy, he chose you. <clears throat> if you don't believe me, there's a lot of scriptures, but here's another one. Even before he made the world, okay, so it's not like God at the moment the world, that Adam and Eve fell, he had to stop and recalibrate and be like, okay, now that they fell, do I want to love them? Do I want to choose them? 
It's before he said, let there be light. He loved you and he chose you. So your relationship with him, his end of it is not determined by you. It's determined by him. Now, if you want to be in relationship with him, then you need to choose him back. Okay, because no amount of him choosing you puts you in relationship with him. It makes the relationship available, but you have to choose him. It's the same thing with our relationships on earth. What we tend to want to do is we want people to choose us. And so when we walk into a room, we scan the room, and we pick people like us. And we try to develop relationships around liking. Well, you like this or you like me, and so because of that, we'll have a relationship together. But if relationships are based on you choosing me and not me choosing you, then when the liking stops, we begin to disconnect. Does that make sense? When we base a relationship on I'm choosing you, and I'm choosing you based on the value of the word of God. Now, again, don't run way over there to that wall. We're taking baby steps. Because there are things like boundaries and there are levels of intimacy and relationship with people. So just because I choose to be in relationship with you does not mean you are going to have the same access to me as someone like my wife. I mean, I chose her also and she chose me back. And because of that, we have a a relationship that doesn't just happen but we have to maintain connection, and sometimes we do it well, and sometimes we don't do it well, but we have to maintain that connection. And if I choose you, you're not going to have the same relationship with me that she is, because it's a different level, and we'll talk through all of that, so don't panic, and don't run all the way over there to that wall. But Jesus chose us, and so you and I have to build our relationships on I choose you, meaning I am going to take responsibility in this relationship for me because I chose to be in relationship with you, and I'm choosing to be in relationship with everyone as much as it depends on me because the only person I can control in this relationship is me, parents. No matter how hard we try, we cannot control them. The only one we can be in charge of is us. Control of is us. And sometimes we get out of balance because we try to control someone else's behavior instead of being in control of us. See, when our children act up and then we get angry, they did not make us angry. We chose that as our response probably because we were trying to control them and not be in relationship with them, okay? I, I have to leave a lot of stuff out, and so if you, you gotta read the chapters or you're gonna be like, you're crazy. Um, but in order to do this, in order to be in these types of relationships, there have to be two powerful people in those relationships, Any healthy relationship has to have two powerful people in the relationship, or it cannot be healthy. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think about being powerful, but the most powerful person to ever walk on the planet was Jesus. And Jesus did not fly off the handle, and Jesus did not, well, there was that one time in the temple, 
but I'm still trying to process, you know, how that works. But he didn't, he did not try to manipulate people. He didn't try to control people. He didn't try to raise his voice. So, in fact, the scripture tells us, hold on, I got to find it. Sorry, I have to lift my glasses. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle, and he will cause justice to be victorious. So Jesus did not try to lord it over people or crush them. That's not powerful in the kingdom of God. Powerful means I control me. It doesn't mean I control the room. I control me. And that's how we become powerful. We take responsibility for our lives, for our choices. We choose who we're going to be in relationship with. We choose what we're going to pursue in life. We choose how we're going to go after it. Life does not happen to powerful people. Powerful people live their lives. He takes a long time talking about powerless people in the chapter. And powerless people want to try to get other people to meet their needs instead of taking responsibility for their own needs. So a powerless person in a relationship will try to hint, manipulate, you know, they'll get angry, they'll cry, they'll pout, they'll tell all kinds of stories because they want you to rescue them. They're a victim. I'm a victim. I'm powerless. I'm, I need you to rescue me. Okay? Now, there are rescuers in the world. And we get our identity in rescuing people. And so what we do is we hear the sob story of the victim and we rise to their rescue. And we go rescue them against the bad guy. Who's the bad guy? The bad guy is the one that made them a victim. And so the bad guy, you did this to me, you bad person, you are the bad guy, bad, bad guy. And now I am a victim. And you tell everyone, the victim tells everyone, because they need rescuers. Because I'm not in control of my own happiness. The bad guy was in control of my happiness, and he's made me unhappy, or she has made me unhappy. And now that I'm unhappy, I need you, rescuer, to get me happy again. Go after the bad guy. Rescue me from my unhappiness. And see... Powerless people are like consumers in a relationship. They are unhappy, and they see you happy, and they are, want to be in relationship with you to take all of your happy. And then no one is happy. And what we have to understand, okay, all of us, I believe, to some extent, have this powerlessness in our lives that we have to confront on different levels. So, you know, we... We kind of do it jestingly. I know, we're not supposed to be sarcastic, but Danny Silk does it too. Stop it. But sometimes a little bit of sarcasm helps the medicine go down, you know, sugar. And so Paul did it too in the scripture, so a little bit is okay. But when we begin to feel powerless in our situation, that produces fear and anxiety. And so then I need to get control of my life, and we go at it the wrong way. And we're, not build, we're building distance. i got to distance myself from the person that's causing my anxiety. But that person is not causing your anxiety. I'm in control of my choices. Now, there are real bad guys on earth. There are people who literally do victimize people. 
But in that moment that I recognize in this relationship that there is abuse or there is some type of victimization taking place, at that moment, I'm empowered to make choices. And I can choose to keep my love on towards you, but maintain healthy boundaries in my life because I'm not going to be victimized again. I am going to treat you with respect. Whoa, we're going to respect? We're going to treat the person with respect who victimized us. That's crazy, but that's the only path to freedom, by the way. Okay, but respect doesn't mean you're not going to have to answer for your whatever you've done. There's levels of this. I understand. There's real victimization that is you know, criminal, and there's just victimization that you hurt my feelings, but you have to develop boundaries, and you keep your love on as you do that. And you create around you an environment of power where you are in charge of you. You are in charge of who gets close to you. Okay? You're not going to not hurt me because I'm going to be distant from you. You're going to not hurt me because I'm in control of me. And I'm not going to give you power over me. I choose me. And I choose you. But if you're going to continue to act like that, we aren't going to be able to maintain a relationship. And so powerful people expect everyone around them to also be powerful. And so they confront powerlessness with their words. Now, please take these things with a a grain of compassion in your heart. Because when powerless people come up to us, they tell us the story of someone who hurt them and the victim, and they want you to become a rescuer. And the, powerless, or the powerful response to that is, I am sorry that happened to you. What have you done to fix that? What steps have you taken to get away from that? What changes have you? I mean, it asks questions to let the powerless person begin to feel powerful or to recognize I do have a choice. I can make decisions. I am in charge of me. I'm not powerless like I thought. I am powerful. Now, I love how he describes it in the chapter because I'm like, wow, that's really easy. (laughs) Real life, not so much. Um, Because sometimes people's identity is so wrapped up in their powerlessness that there, there literally has to be a breakthrough spiritually for people to be able to see this sometimes. And that's why we remember that Jesus did not crush the weakest reed. So powerful people do not trample on powerless people with their questions, okay? They try to draw power out of them. Because if you are a follower of Christ, there is a power in you to live your life. Another analogy that he uses from the book is the idea that you know, we say all the time, have a good day. You know, when people are leaving the house, have a good day. And our response to that is very important because sometimes we respond with like, I hope I have a good day. But here's the thing, every day of your life, you are in charge of your day. Now, you are not in charge of everything that comes in or out of your life. But powerless people think, well, I sure hope only nice people talk to me today. Or I sure hope only respectful people cross my path today. Or I sure hope nothing bad happens to me. I sure hope there's not a crisis at work today. Because if any of those things happen, I'm not going to have a good day. That's your choice. 
Because the scripture teaches that every event in our life, good and bad, God uses it for good in our lives if we stay submitted to him and in control of our choices. Now, sometimes we get blindsided by events that kind of knock us off the stool of life, if you will. But when we recognize where we are, we got to get back up and say, no, you know, I'm in control of me. And sometimes our emotions take a whole lot of time to catch up with us. But we live not by our emotions. We live by the truth. And so powerful people refuse to be controlled by other people. They refuse to be controlled by their environment. They make choices. They set boundaries so that I become powerful. If you have been victimized by someone and you just remain in a relationship where you continue to be victimized by someone, an abusive relationship, you are no longer a victim. You've become a volunteer. And you need to get out of that because you're not helping the person who is victimizing you. Sometimes when we start talking about things like this, people who are in abusive relationships feel guilt and condemnation and they feel like I need to stay in this. Jesus would want me to stay here and be a punching bag. No, because you're not helping the person who is victimizing you. They are not a powerful person. They're a powerless person. The scripture tells us in several places But Proverbs chapter 29, verse 11 is one of them. Fools vent their anger. Powerful people don't just vent their anger. They don't give people a piece of their mind. That's a powerless person. The powerful person finds a way to be in control of themselves and respond to what's happening to them, not react to what's happening to them. And I know that all of us have had times where someone cut us off in traffic, little thing, you know, maybe they miscounted our change at the store, and we react with this, how dare you do that to me, and you made me angry. No, you chose that. You chose that because you're not in control of you. And this isn't a shame, guilt thing. This is a set you free empowerment thing. You get to be in control of yourself as you walk through your day. We see this in the stories of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They are some powerful people. Okay, because they lived in a time where the king said, you bow down or I'm gonna throw you in this furnace. And they're like, "Uh, no, or in the lion's den. And they're like, well, we can't do that. And so they stand up against the king. But when they go before the king, read their speeches. I didn't have time to put it on the screen. I'd love to. But read the words they speak toward the king who is about to throw them in a furnace or a lion's den. There is such respect when they speak to him. Your majesty. And in our American culture, if someone in authority over us disrespects us, there's not a your majesty. There's a jerk Powerless, powerless. Okay, you can blame it on this person in power, but in the, at the end of the day, you're in control of you. And the spirit of God lives inside of you, making you the most powerful person on the earth, at least one of them, because everyone who has the spirit of Christ in them is powerful. And we get to choose. And now you and I, over the next several weeks, are gonna get to walk through this series together and learn what it means to become powerful people, what it means to to live in relationship, connection with other people. And we're gonna learn how to have healthy, real relationships, not the pretend kind that just talk about the weather and sports. And we're gonna be able to set those boundaries in our own lives because we're in control of 
us. And we're going to do it based on God's word, not based on fear of what's going to happen to me. I don't hold you out here because I'm afraid of what's going to happen. I hold you out here because you refuse to become powerful and you can't get any closer because the environment around me is powerful and you can't come in here. And I love you and I'm going to welcome you and I'm going to stay connected with you, but my connection, you're out here. Okay, here's the powerful line. And to come in here, you got to come in here. And we're going to hold each other accountable and we're going to talk through it and we're going to grow in this. But one last scripture to kind of remind us. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I love Jesus' statements. No one takes my life from me. I choose to lay it down. And I could choose to pick it up again. I love what he says to Pilate. You have no power over me unless it's given to you from above. He's so secure in who he is. He's the son of God. He's so secure in his agenda from the father. Here's, here's your life. Here's what you're gonna do today. He said, how many times did people try to get him off track? I want you, Jesus, I want you to do this. Jesus, I want you to do this. Jesus, 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 I want you to help me. And sometimes moved with compassion, he still met the needs of the crowd, but there was a limit where he walked away from crowds and said, me time. Even Jesus, the son of God, had to set boundaries in his life. He maintained relationship with the Pharisees, the people who wanted to manipulate and control him all his life, but that relationship was nowhere near what his apostles had. There were levels of intimacy in his life. And he demonstrated it and he modeled it and no one got him off track. Even his followers who wanted to make him king by force. That sounds like a good day, doesn't it? I mean, come on, they want to make you king by force? <laughs> Let's go with that. But Jesus knew that wasn't the father's plan. What was the father's plan? The cross. See, we think that the father's plan for us is going to be just all happy relationships. No one's ever going to hurt us. I'm going to live my life out on earth. And if I just keep my love on, everyone's going to treat me nice. No, some people are going to mistreat you, but you're going to keep your love on and you're going to be in control of you and you're going to set healthy boundaries and you're going to help them see how a powerful person lives and acts. And maybe by that, you'll win them over. But if not, you're going to stay connected, but they're going to be out here. And so as we walk through that, there's going to be a lot of chance for us to repent over the weeks ahead where we literally look at our life. Yeah, Christina loves it. Um, but, but here's the thing. We're going to recognize, hey, how I'm doing life is actually sabotaging my life. Here all along, I thought, you know, it was my spouse that was sabotaging my life. And it's me. Or I thought it was my parents. My parents were sabotaging me. Whether you're a young person or whether you're an old person who still says, my parent, I'm, I am a product of my parents. No, you are a product of your choices. Even if you have been abused by your parents, you are still a product of your choices. As long as you are a product of what someone else has done to you, you can never be free. You can never be free. And you can maintain connection even in an, with an abusive person, but that person's gonna be way out here. But in your heart, you keep your love on. And there are boundaries, and there have to be those boundaries for your sake and for theirs. 
And so that's an important thing that we'll talk through. But when we identify in our lives these things that aren't true, we need to admit it. We need to say, God, I believed a lie. I'm living a lie. I renounce it. I, I repent. I want to turn away from this. Holy Spirit, help me. Thank you for showing me this wart today. And now it's time to lance it. Do you lance warts? No, you don't. <laughs> you do whatever you do with them. <laughs> But it's time to take that thing off. And he'll help you. And he'll walk with you. And others in relationship with you can help you and walk with you through that. But it's really time that we're honest with one another and take baby steps. Okay? Don't dump, jump into the deep end of the swimming pool. Take baby steps. Stand with me if you would. These are chapters one and two in the book. Um, there are, there's one more copy of the book in the back. I have one here if you haven't picked up a copy yet. Um, I did put some more on order, so they'll be coming this week. And so if you didn't get a copy, but I'd encourage you to read, reread. This is something I feel like God has put in my heart for a number of months. This is an important concept for us in the body of Christ. If we're going to walk in real relationships with one another, these are some things that we need to start putting into practice in our lives. Each one of us needs to be in control of us in our relationships. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to dismiss you. But if you're here and you need prayer, whether for something you're battling or facing in response to the message today, or maybe it's a physical need you have or just something you haven't had prayer for yet, our prayer team is going to be here in the front, and I want to encourage you to come find one of us. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you. We don't want you to leave here today having wanted prayer and not had that opportunity. So we're going to give you that last chance. And so as you dismiss today, just try to do that quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to spend some time in prayer. And so, Father, I just thank you today that when we were at our worst, you chose us. In fact, before we even were, you chose us. You saw our worst and you created us choosing us. Thank you for demonstrating that love. Jesus, thank you for willingly coming to this earth to demonstrate what real love is. And thank you for putting that love in us. You are the source of true love. And so today, we come to you recognizing that you are the source of love. We need your love in our hearts. And we need your love to flow out of us in our relationships. Thank you for the things that you've exposed in our lives today. The ways that we think, the ways that we act, the ways that we find our identity or value. Holy Spirit, thank you for pointing out the errors in our thinking and our behaving today. We turn away from those things today. We agree with the truths of your word and what you say about love and connection and relationships. We believe your truth. Now, Holy Spirit, show us how to apply these things to every relationship in our lives. Help us to create healthy relationships around us, in this church, and in our families. Now, God, over this body today, I pray your blessing. I ask that you would bless them and keep them. I ask that you would cause your face to shine on them. I ask that you would be gracious to them, that you'd lift up your countenance on them, and that you would give them peace. 
And I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you go this morning.